Welcome to this APTA podcast. Welcome to this APTA podcast. I'm Christine Scalora. On this episode, we will hear from two winners of APTA's Minority Scholarship Award. Stephen Newton, the first ever recipient in 1988, and one winner from last year, Deja Crippen. They chat about their experiences as Black PTs and why representation is so important in the field of physical therapy. Can you both introduce yourselves and tell us a bit about where you practice? First of all, I do want to give like my respect to you, Stephen, because I'm really honored and grateful to be doing this podcast with the very first <laughs> Minority Scholarship Award recipient. So that's that's just something that I'm very honored for. After reading like about your background, I'm just inspired a lot about your accomplishments from I know you like started out kind of in the leadership field a little bit, like managing clinics right out and then you opened your own and then you got your PhD and then you became a professor. So the list goes on and on and on and then you sponsor things and it's just a lot of stuff and I know I have a lot of dreams but just seeing like where you started and then to where you got to was just inspirational. So thank you. Thank you for acknowledging that. I appreciate it. So I'll start like introducing myself. So I'm Dr. Deja Crippen. I am very happy about that. I won the APTA's Minority Scholarship Award last year in 2022. I'm from a small town, Bridgeville, Delaware. I obtained my bachelor's degree in health behavior science in 2018 at the University of Delaware. And then I graduated last year from U Sciences in Philly with my DPT. I'm very passionate about increasing awareness of the PT profession, promoting and increasing diversity, equity, and inclusion, and providing support and mentorship to everybody who's interested in PT. So like pre-PT students, and even those who are currently in PT programs right now, and even peers who just graduated, I, I just try to help out like with interview process and stuff, because I know it took a lot of effort to try to negotiate and everything like that um, to get a good job. So I currently work in outpatient clinic in Tucson, Arizona. I moved here because of the heat and I really like the warm weather here. Um, and I work for Therapy Partners Group, but it's a network of like a lot of partnering companies. And my company is specifically Body Central Physical Therapy, but I love vestibular rehab, neuro and geriatrics. And then outside of work, I just like doing anything that's active. So I like hiking, I like rock climbing, bike riding, going out, working out, going to the beach. Um, and I really, really love my family and hanging out with friends and my two godsons. So it's been really hard because they're still in Delaware. So that's me. My name is Stephen Newton and I graduated from Loma Linden University in 1988. And so that is the first year of getting the scholarship. And I actually did all this because I needed the thousand dollars. And at that point, I don't know what the award is now, but um, being a, a project kid, you know, and pretty much, you know, I never went home for any holiday when I was in college because I couldn't afford to go home. And so I just took whatever job I could to make ends meet. And, and ultimately, somehow, when folks said that there's no way in the world that they can afford school, I go back and think I had $350 in my pocket. And I showed up on campus and I Pell Grant myself all the way through it and then loaned it up and then... Lo and behold, right before school was out, APTA had this award and they said, hey, there's a thousand dollars available. And I just poured my heart out <laughs> and lo and behold, they said you won. So I'm, I'm very grateful um, for the award um, and it changed my life drastically. And I'll go into that a little bit later. 
Um, I left physical therapy school, went on to get my MBA from the University of Redlands, practiced an outpatient for the majority of my life. I have ADD, I'll, I'll just say that. And so I, I just can't stay in any one place too long. And so I, yeah, I, I started teaching at Loma Linda. Um, I, started, I started teaching in their PTA program. I opened up my first practice in 1993 in Riverside, California. Sold that clinic in 1998. Started doing a lot of work in home health. Also did a lot of work in the entertainment world. So I started training entertainers. And it, it wasn't just, it wasn't, they would call me the mad scientist. So I wasn't considered quite a physical therapist. I wasn't considered a trainer. I used my physical therapy skill to assist me and to, to actually working with my clients. In 2009, that is when I was, someone came to me again and stopped and said, hey, you know, it seems to me that you understand how to run a clinic. I thought, how would you figure that? Well, your personality, this, that, the other. And they said, you have a business degree. And they said, so would you be willing to open up one out here in Burbank, California? So that's where my current practice, Performax Physical Therapy, Golf and Wellness Center, that's when I opened that. I'm still in my practice right now. I do a whole lot of stuff, not only in the orthopedic realm, but we do a lot of workplace solutions. So we actually go out to uh, the city of Burbank, Burbank Water and Power. We're involved with the studios, Walt Disney. Warner Brothers, et cetera, people out there that understand, again, the need to make sure that their employees are are safe, that they can actually perform long-term for them. So, yeah, and I still teach. Actually, I retired after 30 years of teaching at Loma Linda in 2018, and I am considered adjunct faculty at this point. So I still go in and I teach more administrative stuff. So it's more on the business end. So, Stephen, there are a lot of follow-up questions I could ask you all about your career, but I kind of want to go back to the beginning. What or who inspired you to become a PT? I wanted to become a pediatrician. And so my counselor back in college sat down and talked to me and said, you know, when I see your personality and I hear the kind of connection you're wanting to have with your patient, and I understand medicine, I don't believe that becoming an MD is the career path for you. And she kind of expressed, again, the the real quick in and out. You might have five minutes, maybe 10 minutes with the patient. You know, you know I think you're gonna need more quality time. And have you ever heard of physical therapy? And in all sincerity, up until that moment, I had not even thought of it. It wasn't, it wasn't on my radar. I thought, what's physical therapy? And so I said, well, um, why not? And so I did it just because someone actually introduced it to me. Again, it kind of shows you that in my upbringing, I, had, I didn't have a role model. I didn't have anyone that did it. I mean, in my community, there was no one that did it. I had a lot of athletes I could look up to, a lot of musicians I can look up to, a lot of entertainers, but there was no one in medicine that was there. So this one counselor, just by suggesting that opened a whole land of opportunity for me. But it wasn't like, again, that there was something that happened in my life that caused me to become more aware or there was someone that I saw that was really a role model for it. Deja, what about you? So I knew that I wanted to be of service in some way, especially like to my family in some way, and nothing against nurses because like nurses are great, but I just knew I didn't want to be a nurse. 
and my mom's a nurse. So I was like, I don't think I want to go that route. And everybody I knew was kind of going in that direction. But I was wondering what else I could do. So when I was in high school, because I had scoliosis, I had PT. And my mom was like, oh, I can see you being a PT. And so I was like, sure, maybe I could, you know, like maybe. So that's the first time I heard it too, but I didn't know what it was until I had PT. So just like you, somebody had to like finally tell me about it. And then I was like, oh, okay. But then I, I even got to like undergrad for the arts. So I thought I was gonna be in digital design cause I like that stuff. My major in high school was dance. Like I did not think I was gonna be in the health field at all. And so I, I also never thought I was going to grad school. Like that definitely wasn't on my mind. Like I was like, okay, I'm not going to school. And I'm not sure if anybody knows what the Ronald E. McNair scholarship program is, but it's a program and it basically helps students who want to go to grad school or it gives, it tells you more about it. And then it, you have to do research in undergrad and it pushes you, like they push you to go to grad school um, and they pay for things. So. It paved the way for me to go to grad school too. So then I started thinking, all right, I definitely gotta go because too many people are invested in me now. So I was like, I can't just stop right here. Um, so I took a gap year and I was like, I need to find out more about PT. So I got a job as a PT tech, like I was a rehab tech. And this was the true inspirational moment for me. And that escalated the process so quickly because I was like, I don't wanna be here. Like, I was like, I don't wanna be a tech. I don't like being told what to do. I was like, I think I need to work my way up. So I applied that first year and I was like, all right, I'm going to PT school. And I was crossing my fingers that I got in. And so I applied and then I finally got accepted and there's no turning back now. So there's just no turning back. Yeah, so that's kind of what inspired me. And then because I really like vestibular rehab, so I like vestibular, my grandma, she got vertigo and I didn't know like how to treat it and like much at that moment. So I was like, all right, when I go to school, I got to learn about this and I need to learn how to treat this. So now like that's what I really, really, really like doing is vestibular. So that's what inspired me. So Deja, let's start with you. What did winning the Minority Scholarship Award mean to you and how has receiving the award impacted your career so far? So just like you, Stephen, where you said at the beginning how um, it kind of changed your life, too. I do feel like this award made me feel recognized. Like, I feel like my professors started to believe in me. They even reached out to me to apply for this award because I didn't even really know about it. So it was a great feeling knowing that they believed in me. Um, and it, it meant to me that, like, my efforts were being seen and it was a voice and my voice that was being heard and there was hope and belief that I could and that I will do so much more than what I'm doing right now. And I remember being like super nervous about it that I wasn't gonna win because at the time, like I needed the money too. Like I was like, all I want is the money because I'm a broke college student. And, but I didn't know like the recognition was going to be this significant as it has been. I did not know that. So when I went up to DC to accept the award, People kept coming up to me and they were congratulating me and they were offering pictures and they wanted to take pictures and uh, of me and with me. And it felt like a celebrity moment in a way. And I wasn't really used to that. 
but like my job even was offering me opportunities to promote like cultural competency and I gained respect from like my coworkers and my CEO and it was just great. But more than anything, I think I gained motivation, more motivation and like a clearer view of my purpose because I always liked mentoring students and I always liked, you know, giving back and doing different things and trying to just help. So I do feel like I didn't know where it could take me but now people are like yo you can go far so I'm like all right let me just keep going thanks for the recognition I got to keep going that's awesome <laughs> again the the thousand dollars was was really exciting being that it was the first year I actually just thought they were going to send me the check and I'd go on and there was a pioneer and someone who has been so influential in my life her name is Dr. Linda Woodruff. And I didn't understand how important this award actually was. For the most part, I was, I was really believing that I would finish physical therapy school and go back and do my music. Again, I had no intentions of actually, no, I, I could have practiced physical therapy, but my true heart was in my music. And whether it was singing, whether it was playing keyboard, I mean, and definitely contemporary Christian music was my passion at that point. But when I received the award and I actually went to Las Vegas to actually receive it, I walked into a room of eight folks on a board who had worked like crazy to develop what is now the Minority Academic Excellence Scholarship. And they were more proud of me than I was in, in a sense there. I mean, they were so happy that this had actually happened. And I was still like, okay, what's really going on? And I really didn't have a true understanding of the profession of physical therapy. You know, the APTA itself, how big that is, you know, what a house of delegates is. I mean, all the things that go into a profession. And it was really funny because Linda and a few of the others, I remember another man by the name of, I think Joseph Smay, maybe his his name from the University of Connecticut, all this group, they were saying, okay, so you're going to do this, and you're going to do this, and you're going to do this. I'm thinking, well, who are these people orchestrating my life? Like, I don't know anything about all this. But before that meeting ended, I had 150 business cards in my pocket. I had met the CEO, Bill Coughlin, of the APTA. I had met so many folk. And I could really understand that there was a passion, you know, something burning deep within them about what was actually going on, what I was going to represent. I did an internship, right? Immediately following that, when I met the CEO, I said, I, I know nothing about this APTA. And he said, well, if you really want to know something about it, maybe you should sit still and create an internship. And I said, well, you know what? I'm going to do that. I think they thought I, I was, I was kind of joking or that, you know, that I wouldn't follow up with it. But I went back. I started typing. I stopped and said, this is what an internship would look like. It would be this long and this and other. I submitted it to the APTA. Next thing you know, they stopped and says, hey, yes, we're going to do that for you. So for three months of my life, immediately after school, I went to the APTA headquarters. I lived with one, one of the members of the board there, Dr. Virginia Nealon. I stayed in her place in Springfield. Virginia, Johnette Meadows, it was her first year. Agatha Davis Johnson, it was her beginning. And I remember just sitting there and watching them come in and 
and hearing them express all of the responsibilities that take place at our headquarters, government affairs. You know, I would go up to the hill on a regular basis and look at the books and try to understand what athletic trainers were doing, what exercise physiologists were doing. You know, I, I, I really got a good understanding of what we do as PTs. And to a huge degree, that's what kind of set the foundation for me. That's what changed everything. I got to really understand that, that there was something much bigger than I at work. And I was ready for the challenge then. Actually, I think that the, the most difficult part of all of it was I hadn't done much clinically at all, but I knew so much more about the profession so quickly. And I wanted to get into the business of the profession and make sure that, hey, if these guys are kind of, to kind of moving on our territory as practitioners, then I wanted to get up there and fight and fight and fight. And so eventually I had to stop and say, whoops, okay. you know, let's not quite get into the office quite yet. Let's get out there and practice as a clinician, but it's good to have an understanding of what's going on with, with the profession. So that alone changed my life drastically. Stephen, in a 1997 APTA magazine article, um, you spoke about how you were grateful for receiving the award, like you just mentioned, um, but you also acknowledged that being an African-American PT and businessman had been difficult. And at the time you said, there is no question that I have had to work harder because of my color. I've had to excel beyond my peers at school, in the clinic, and in the community. So from your perspective now as a PT and businessman, where have you seen improvements in society and where do we still have work to do? The hardest challenges that I faced initially really had to even deal with putting my hands on a patient. There were some communities here in California, um, the first practice I worked at, the owner kindly let me know, hey, you're a good physical therapist, but on a few patients here, you don't need to touch them. I didn't quite understand and he didn't quite blatantly express what was going on, but it became pretty clear later on that, hey, because of the color of my skin, these patients didn't feel comfortable with me being there. That was a hard blow. I, I, that, that didn't feel very good at all. I'm trying to think, Bob. <laughs> I, I, there, there's just so much change that has happened out there, I think I think the world is is more open, the more understanding that there that a minority person can have a skill set, that they they can be as educated as a, a white counterpart. So I do feel like I had to work twice as hard because of my color. There was moments, like as a student, where I felt like my classmates would disregard my input <laughs> or in professors would have like implicit or explicit biases. Um, but I will say that as I progressed through the program, I gained more respect. Like I, I feel like my value definitely showed through. And I think for my company, at least my small clinic that I'm at right now, because I spend most of my time here, um, they do a great job at wanting to improve and accept advice or suggestions that can make us grow. Um, things that we can be proficient in, such as like non-discriminatory statements, um, publicly displayed, um, or updating like intake forms when patients first come in. These are things, suggestions that I think we should do, and they are open, but they we haven't did this yet. I'm still trying to like get it to happen, but there are things that I've expressed before because with them, you know, 
telling me about like the whole cultural competency thing then giving me the idea that I can lead that and, and kind of push to help educate more people about it, which is something that I'm still trying to work on and strive every day. But just things like such as supporting like Black History Month, you know? So there's things like that that I feel like we could be more proficient in and get a little bit more support. But my patients, I feel like they love me. <laughs> like I love my patients, I feel like they love me. I know I'm not for everybody, um, but I haven't ran into anybody who didn't enjoy like the vibes that I was giving them. But when I have patients who are minority or are people of color, that energy and that trust and that understanding is a little different. And I do think this is why representation matters. And I, I went to the doctor's office the other day and my doctor was black and I just wanted to hug her. So I do feel like it really matters when you see that. And I do feel like I still had to work twice as hard to get where I am and to be recognized. But it's like once that recognition is there and they know what you can do, then I feel like, but you still got to prove yourself. Like I, and, and, I, and when I mentor students and they are minority and they feel the same way, then it becomes a thing where I try to just be real and be honest and the way of the world sometimes, which is hard because it feels like you shouldn't have to prove yourself. But until we have more representation like us, I feel like we always, in a way, sadly, will. You know, it's, it's really interesting because when I hear that now, I'm wondering, when I hear you ask how it has improved, I think my difficulty is, I don't know how much it has improved. You know, I think I've become wiser. Examples, you know, in, in marketing my practice, there are times where I will go and see a doctor or a, a referral source, a physician, and they would slam the door in my face. I became wise to that, and I had my, and for lack of a better way of saying this, I had my blondie bluey friend that worked for me that I would send out and make the initial contact. We would get the relationship with that referring group. We would get those patients, and then it's much harder for a referral source to cut you off once you're, they're already sending you patients. If by chance, after they had already been sending me patients for a month or two, and now they decide, oh, they see me come in the door and they go, oh, he's a black guy. And <laughs> it's, it, racism would be blatant at that point. I just learned how to kind of work around the system a little bit there. So do I feel it still exists out there? Oh, no doubt. I feel that, but I just don't want to waste my time. I'm smarter in the way that I approach anything that may actually come my way there. You know, yes, you you, you can tell when a patient feels really uncomfortable around someone that's different. And so I have a very diverse staff. So what I do is I then I'll give that patient to someone else. I mean, so it, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this. I mean, just like you, I, I have a lot of patients that you can see the the smile, you know, the the excitement when they see someone that represents them, that looks similar to them, you know, that gives them a little more confidence and a little, you know, they, they feel a little more at home. It's like when I uh, speak broken Spanglish or, or, or Spanish <laughs> and um, I'll have one of my my team who speaks fluent Spanish speak to that same patient and their eyes light up. And they can talk forever. And I'm like thinking, what did you say that I did? And it's just something about that commonality, that reality that makes everyone come alive. You know, so yeah, the the, the world is 
uh, as you can see today, I mean, from 88 into now, we just have gone through some some extremely exciting times as a country as we as we, we've exposed some of the deep seated racism that still exists. And so to really stop and say, wow, it's so much better now, I, I really can't can't really say that. But I, I again, I will stop and say, you know, we each have to pick and choose our own battles. And I am, you know, hypertension is huge in the African-American community, especially with men, and to allow myself to be stressed over, you know, how someone else might might treat me, you know, because of something so senseless as, as the color of skin, I, I, I'm not going to go there. And so I would just find another way to still get my result. And I've learned over time, I can I, I can make that happen. Yeah, and I, I agree because now I learned to be strategic. <laughs> like I was like, there's a certain way and I tried to teach that and I understand, but it's like a, a safe space that you want to have for like other minority students too, where you want them to like, they might come to you and say, Hey, has this happened to you? And I'm like, yes, but the way you go about this is like, you know, it's a strategic way because in the, in the end, you know, if you have, if you have this goal in mind, nothing can really like get you from it. And if something, like you said, you have to pick the battles that you just, you know, and some of them you're just not going to win. So it's not even worth your energy or your time. And it's it's crazy to hear how much maybe change didn't come since then, because even when I was applying for jobs, my very first CI, like I loved her. She was all about like, you know, woman power and all this stuff. And she was so good. And she told me she was like, Deja, when you apply for jobs, they may try to lowball you, but it's okay because you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to call and I'm going to pretend I want to apply for that job too. And she was like, and I'm going to see what they give me. And if they give me something higher than you, then no. And, or so, and you know, and she was going to try to make similar profiles. It was just her versus me. But it's just like the fact that she even wanted to do that for me. And she was, she was a white woman, but the fact that she wanted to do that for me, I was like, and the fact that she had to, you know, is like, yeah, that's, but you know, it's just, she was going to do it. So, I'm glad that you shared that because I, I guess if there, if there is a change, I have more folks that are non-minority or non, non-black that will stand up, that will speak out than ever before. You know, and so, that, and so, you know, typically if something does happen to me, someone, I, I can usually find someone else in the room or someone else around that would say, that's not right. I'm going to take care of this. And so I'm really excited that that there are folks that have chosen not to stay silent, you know, because staying silent doesn't help. It doesn't change anything at all. And it actually kind of puts you in the same boat as everyone else. And so that's where actually seeing that there are folks that are willing to open up their mouths that are that that may not relate to me completely because of my skin color. They're they're willing to put themselves out there. Yeah. And I I I wish that like in school, I know a lot of people who seen things like happen and they knew it made me feel some type of way, they would message me personally. And they would say, Deja, I'm so sorry they said that to you. I'm so sorry it happened. And in my head, I'm like, well, why didn't you say anything in the moment? But you know, they said something to me, which let me know that they knew. And then the friends that I had who were Caucasian or white, um, the friends that I had, they would notice too. And I would like tell them like, hey, you're not doing anything to make it better or to change it because you hear it, but you still didn't do anything. And like you said, now they are doing stuff. They're like, how can I help? What should I do? What should I say? And I'm like, now we're talking. So it's like, it takes that like 
push and they apologize and they're like, I'm so sorry. I was just stuck in my bubble. I didn't try, you know, but now I'm like for it. And now, so now you're right. They changed. <laughs> you know, um, this just reminds me of a, a time in a faculty meeting when we think that this, that racism doesn't exist and some folks don't take the time to even, or, or they don't want to, to, to acknowledge that that is still there. We'll, we'll have a kid that will come in and if the university is very GPA dominant when it comes to their selection criteria, they still don't quite understand that that GPA of that minority kid might seriously be much lower than it really should be. They'll just see it and sometimes say, well, this is what their GP actually is. And, and I've been the person to stand up and say, wait a minute. There have been several times I can, there was a speech class I was in and my professor, I did, I did, I thought the most wonderful speech ever. And when I went and talked to the professor, the professor stopped and says, yes, that was a great speech. And he gave me a B. And I looked and said, so help me. If that was a great speech, then why did I get a B? And the professor looked dumbfounded, had no idea why. But from that point on, I got A's all the way throughout. I let him know, you know what? I'm not in this class to get a B. I'm in this class to get an A. And if I'm not, if I'm not performing, if I'm functioning at a B level, let me know what I need to do to get to an A. But there was, I felt there was some kind of a bias. And I thought he thought I would be extremely excited by getting a B. What would, what, what did that have done? If I didn't speak up, what would that have done to my GPA? And then again, now I'm competing with this other kid down the way over here that is coming in with a higher GPA. And then so unless you have that understanding, unless you're willing to listen and recognize that those biases still exist, that you know, you know, then then you're not going to see a big change. And if, if we're really trying to grow and increase the the presence of minorities in our profession, then they have to be accepted. And if they aren't being accepted because there's bias in the room of folks that accept them, then how is it ever going to change? And so there just needs to be some sensitivity. And I, I, I heard um, someone mention something at the, the Graham conference I was just at. They said during their interview process, they asked the students, well, your GPA is this. Do you think that is, in, is, is indicative of, of your performance? To actually ask them that question, hey, you, you, you're coming in with a 3.5. Do you really feel that you're a 3.5 student and give you a chance to respond? I would have loved that because then I would have been able to express to them, you know, hey, this happened and this happened and that happened. And so really, I, I, I'm, I'm not a 3.5 student. I really think there was some bias toward that. But so I, I was happy to hear that some institutions out there would take that extra step to try to get, get some clarification, get, get, to, to get some understanding. Yeah, thank you both for, for sharing your perspectives. Um, on what's changed and what still hasn't. So Deja, how did you work to build community when you were a student? I know you've talked about mentorship. Um, how did you build and find community on campus? So I can't take credit for this alone. My two mm -hmm. colleagues, Dr. Nigeria Addison and Dr. Margarita Munoz, because <laughs> they helped me co-found the BIPOC PT club at our school during the hardest time of our lives. So during our second year of PT school, and we just realized that like students of color were struggling like tremendously, both emotionally and academically, like after the death of George Floyd. So we noticed that the supportive space and encouragement and mentorship that was craved and that we needed to like thrive, it just wasn't there. Like it did not exist. 
So after months of like proposing, planning, presenting, I finally got to become the president of that club. And when it was established during our third year of PT school, like the mission that we created, we just set out to like create a more appealing environment for like other students coming in who were people of color and minority students, but they were interested in PT. We did some volunteer work and service events and um, just what they're doing now, it's, it, they just took off. So we graduated and we're not there anymore and we picked, you know, new officers and everything, but they are taking off. Like, it's just so great. They still reach out to us now if they need help. But I see that they're building like this good community and this trust and this academic and moral support that we need. Um, so it just, it just brings me so much peace and joy and just love and like any help that I feel like all PT programs should have that also I feel like they all should have a lot of stuff but they I think they should have that because it will create a space for these types for minority students to just thrive and it matters yeah Stephen you've talked a lot about working with students what advice do you have for students and really just early career PTs about sort of finding mentors and people to help them at the beginning of their journey? I tell you, experience counts. Experience matters. And to, to actually to be somehow involved with someone who's done it before, I tell folks to create or duplicate. And there are times that you want to start from scratch and do something totally different. But there are times, though, that experience actually does matter. And those mentors are also pretty well connected. <laughs> and so they actually bring not only with them a lot of information, but they also bring information from other, you know, as as they introduce you to their network and you become part of, of that that entire community, it's matter it's amazing how much you can actually grow. So yeah, I I I really just believe, you know, we've all gone through a little bit of something and to try to make the, the journey a little bit easier, you know, to be able to actually have someone that's actually been there that can kind of guide you through that, that you can use as use as a resource that can, and to, to a certain degree, they can inspire you as well, you know. So so I, I, I see it, it's, it, it's of extreme value to have someone that you can actually count on, you can turn to, that can give you some guidance. Yeah, and I think a lot of people did not have that. Like a lot of the people who are in a place that they want it to be in to make it easier. So. I do agree. Just like not knowing about PT at all or help, just help with like the application, like PT cast, you know, it's it's just multiple steps to this and that nobody really knows about. And that's something that all of us who went through it, we really know. So it's, it's like very simple or easy to just like help somebody go through that process. It does take time, but I feel like that will make a difference too. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. So we've sort of touched on these questions a bit. One about like why is representation important to you? And the other being that research shows that racial similarity between clinician and patients is associated with like higher trust, satisfaction. Was there anything either of you wanted to add about those questions? I've been asked several different several times, why teach at a predominantly white school? No, I've had very, I've had several opportunities to go and teach elsewhere, but I've just stayed where I, where I am. And one of the classes that I taught was anatomy. And then, and if you understand anatomy, it, it's a very a dense um, um, class. And I asked folk over and over, 
if you reflect back on your experience your in, in education, how many times have you been educated by a black man? How many black male teachers have not your you're not your phys ed teacher? I mean, I mean, and especially if you start looking at your again, your sciences, how many times have you had the opportunity to be educated by a black man? And most say it's they've never. And then I look at myself and think, wow, for almost 30 years, I've been up front and I've been able to be a mentor. I've been able to inspire some students. I've been I've been a person that's become very close and connected with my students. And and to a lot of them, it's it's a unique opportunity to see someone of, of my color give them some valuable tool beyond again. And I'm not I'm not saying you know being an a, an athlete is wrong or being a musician is wrong or being an entertainer is wrong, but I'm saying that somehow we get put into this box that that's what we do. And I think or I know that over the last 30 years I've done so much for I've, I've represented my my folk in a way that has has really changed the mindset of so many of these students that have gone through the field. And so, so to me, to, to be a representative of what we can really do beyond what the, you know, the, I say that folks are so myopic at times that they only see one side of that, but to really stop and think, hey, I can learn something very valuable that's very important for my career, you know, that, that's gonna be important for my life from someone of color, it just changes everything for them, you know? And and I, I had a friend one time, I was at dinner with she and, and uh, her husband, and she made a comment that I think she thought was a compliment. She said, wow, Stephen, we love you so much. You know, we don't even see you as black. Representation <laughs> right then and there. I I really had to stop and I, and I looked and I stopped and said, you know what, I know I'm 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 trying to understand. I know what you're trying to get, the point you're trying to get across. However, you know what I I I want? I want you to see me as black. I want, I want you to see what you can 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 learn. I want you to see how how a black man can conduct himself. I, I want I want you to be inspired by what you know, but by, by what this black man is actually doing. And so, you know, representation again is, is so extremely important because it can change the mindset. It can change the stereotypical thinking that so many people have out there about who we actually are. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I agree. It definitely matters. It's crazy. Um, you know how people say, would you trust this person to treat your grandma? Like that's the number one thing they say in like PT school. Like you gotta do, you gotta be a really good therapist because would you trust this person or would you trust your friend or your classmate to treat your grandma? And I just feel like background like has a lot to do with it too. Like if outcomes were based solely on like our skills and biases like weren't a thing too then maybe we wouldn't really have to talk about like representation too but i do think representation builds that trust and i think it can influence outcomes when the patient has and is a little bit more trusting in you and they feel more confident and they feel more compliant to do their work but i do agree that you know like what you said about us actually making 
ourselves are working really hard to get the skills and get the necessary tools and things that we need. And even to other people, it may not look like we, or they wouldn't expect it out of us. They may just expect you to do the bare minimum. But every time like I go above and beyond, they it, it is shocking to some people or they're like, huh, or they're just impressed. Or I found myself in this thing where it's like, even family, they're kind of like, uh, I don't know who, where you were born, like what family you came from, but it is not this one. Or it's just so much. And, and even on our side, it isn't just like the other side or the white side, which, you know, it isn't that where they're saying like, oh, we, we, you're, you don't act black or we wouldn't expect you to act this way. It's like on my family side where they're like, you act white. And I'm like, <laughs> what are you? I'm like, how do I act, you know, like a certain way? But I think I'm just representing us in a different way, like you said. Like, it's just how you present yourselves and what, like, services and, and what you give out to people. Yeah. Well, it, it's, um, again, if you remember, I got into PT because of a counselor. A counselor helped me to understand that the profession was even out there. I had no idea it existed. And had there been other physical therapists in my world along my path to represent, to, to help me recognize, hey, that's something that looks interesting. Who knows? I, I might have been inspired by them to get into this field. It took a counselor to do so. And so and that that's kind of why, where I look at the profession today and I start wondering, like, oh, my goodness, where are we? I mean, if back in 1988, they were saying, hey, the profession of physical therapy was 4% minority. Today, I read, I saw something at the last conference that said it's about 4% African-American. So I looked at them and said, okay, great. So that's not minority, but so, but still 35 years later. And then I wonder where in the world are, how are you going to inspire these kids? How are, how, how are you going to find these minority men out there or, or females? I mean, who are they going to see? You know, yeah, you look at a, you know, there may be a TV show that has a physical therapist played here or there, but there's no serious recruitment or there's, again, there, there's, there's no serious representation right now of us for a lot of the younger generation to really be able to, to cling on to, to inspire, to be like. You know, and so so even right now, I'm I'm taking that that a little serious inside of myself and thinking, of what can I do? You know, it, it's there, there's a sense of, hey, I'm going to wait for them to do something. I'm realizing more and more that, and especially after this last meeting I just went to, them is going to just have to be me. I'm going to have to find a way to, you know, I, I do I do certain outreach things on my own right now to, you know, when it comes to going to the, the local schools and just making sure that, you know, I'm the physical therapist and especially this, some, some, some of these lower income um, communities. So I, I really make sure that they understand a little bit about it. But I realize there's something more that needs to happen. And it's, it, it really means that I've got to get outside of my comfort zone and whether it means I have to invite these kids into my clinic and create little fun days or something that can really, you know, I, I can be a little over the top and I want them to see the over the topness a little bit, you know, I, I, um, yes, I think sports is a good way to kind of encourage folk, you know, because there, there are the physical therapists that work with sports teams, et cetera. So that, so that might get their interest there to a certain, certain degree, but I, something has to happen though, to make sure that there's some representation of, of our kind to really inspire these youth. Like you said, increasing like um, the awareness going out to the schools and stuff, those, when we created that club, 
as well. We, that's something that we like wanted to do and aim to do. And like at the, the job I'm at now, that was a part of like my plan and my proposal. And I wanted to do it around the high schools here in Arizona. And just to ask like those schools, do you have like any like clubs or minority clubs or you know how like all different like type of clubs and just show up and try to just educate them on it. Also with like the McNair program that was in, um, that pushes you to go to grad school. I feel like they, the, they had the resources, like the financial, the money, like, cause I know a lot of people struggle with money too. So I do think that having more scholarships and actually telling people about the scholarships, cause people like, there's so many, but not a lot of people know about them. And even I didn't really know about it, but that program is what really like told me I could go because I didn't have any money to really apply but they were like we're gonna apply to as many schools as you want we're gonna cover it so that was what they said and I was like okay so I'm gonna get in because I'm gonna apply and I'm gonna do the work but then there's all these other factors that play into it where if you don't have the money or if you don't have the support or you don't have the mentorship or the education to even take the steps or what to do so I think that awareness part scholarships and even mentorships can hopefully uh, help us get more minority students in the profession? Well, no doubt. I think mentorship is, is, is a big plus. That's something we definitely have to do. So I, I won that award again. That was 88. I'll stop and say the first well, three or four years, I was really deep involved with the APTA. And I really, I mean, m more than just a member, I try to really understand the workings behind the scenes. I disappeared except for doing some, I, I spoke for the national combined, I mean, for the national student conclaves, you know, because I, I love students. That's my my, my passion were, were those. So I, I probably did that three or four times. And then I got involved in electrophysiology and I did a lot of stuff at the combined sections meetings. But if I look at my, my resume of the last 10, 15 years, I've pretty much just pulled away. And lo and behold, I got the, you know, the uh, email that talked about the grand meetings and the private practice section. And, and two weeks ago, I just said, oh, well, let me just go to this thing in New Orleans. And I think I'm ready to go back now. There was one out of, let's say, 150 people that were there. There was one other man of color. And there were, you know, a, again, several, a good, a good handful, maybe six or seven females that were there, but it, it still showed me again, wow, 35 years later, I'm sitting in this room, I'm hearing all these folks from the private practice section talk, and I'm going, wow, a lot hasn't changed. And I'm on the sidelines right now. I think earlier, again, I, I, I promoted myself too young to a desk job or an office job or to be really involved in the whole political aspect of, of, of the association. But, but now as I look at I'm older. <laughs> I'm in a more a different part of my career. You know, I, I I still see a need needs to be met, and and I'm willing to do that. And so there were there there was another Heidi Jennings, I think that may have been her name, was was speaking again of some mentor program. She reached out to me, and, and then again there there was one gentleman, uh, one of my best friends, Dwight Salky, an African American male that um graduated the, the year a year ahead of me. So I'm already reaching out to him. I'm trying to find any minority male that I know that's out there to stop and say, hey guys, let's kind of team up together a little bit here and see what can we do together to try to see, you know, to, to, to create the representation that's needed to actually influence some of these folks to, to, to join a field that we know is, is wonderful. That's just great. <laughs> it's just great. I'm happy you're getting back on board 
with things. And I do feel like, you know, like coming out, it's like that passion, it's that fire that is just like there and you see it and you went through it just so fresh. And you're just like, oh, what can I do to help? And I hope I don't get burnt out. I hope I don't. But I think for me, it's also of, of, of a how and a what else can I do to make it like happen and to support. And I'm definitely going to reach out to you. <laughs> so you're definitely going to become a connect in some way. So yeah, it's just, it definitely, I learned that it takes more than me, like more than myself. It's going to take like a lot of us and, um, like connecting and support and connections and um, people over in different states and cross country. And it's just going to take a lot of us to make like a something that can be impactful. But I do believe that we can, we can also impact where we are and keep moving in the direction and help the people around you and the, the at the local level, but to make something bigger change, then that's where I think we gotta, it's something more, it's something like bigger than just us. Um, it's, it's interesting that that you say that because I think that's my when when I'm at the the meeting, my concern typically is, man, it's like racism. Racism is so big, and and you look at it and you stop and say, is it going to change? And they go, wow, I don't I don't see how you know. And I and you, you see the news, you know, something happens, you think, okay, now the world's definitely going to change because everything is so clear and. You know, there's still half over here and half over there. And you're thinking, oh, my goodness, how does that work? And so you can really become disenchanted. You can be really just frustrated and think it's, nothing is going to work at all. And and actually being, that was the downside of being at this meeting because I, it reminded me of the politics that's involved. You know, when I look at, you know, the, how much change has or hasn't happened now with the, you know, the APTA is, I'm sure they're doing their best. And so, and, and I'm a person that likes to see change. You know, I, I like to, if I'm putting effort out, I want to see something actually happen. Um, but but I think this time I'm looking at it just like you said strategically, a little differently, how I've dealt with racism in a sense. I'm looking at this as well saying, the change starts with ourselves. The change starts with me and my family, me and, and, and my friends, it's, it's my patients, my staff, my community. You know, those are the folks that I can, directly connect with. I can, and so change, you know, even, you know, I, I, I call it a, a positive virus. <laughs> you know, you're, you're, you're on fire for something, you hope you touch someone and they become on fire. You know, again, some folks are really good on a, on a bigger scale with committees and the other thing there. Even as a faculty member, I was never one to be like, wanted to be faculty, faculty. I wanted to be with the students. I wanted to be on the field. You know, I want to be in the middle of everything. And so I think when it comes to all that we're speaking of at this point here, it really just kind of starts with being internally on fire and, and making sure those that are close to us can see and understand our passion, our reasoning, why we do what we do. And hopefully, you know, somehow something will shift in their brains that they join on board and someone else joins on board. And then we just create our own cohort to a certain degree. And, and then we actually create the change that we're, that, that we're looking for. What do you hope to see for the future of the physical therapy profession? So I just hope that we continue to improve. 
that we open up a space and push for more diversity in like the leadership positions too. Because I remember when I checked, like there was still like a small amount, like a, a lack of minority representation among the like board of directors for the APTA. So to fully like ensure that like cultural competence and the core value of the profession is upheld, then I think representation, minority representation is crucial in those higher positions as well. So that maybe we'll start, you know, seeing something come down. Um, but we can just just support and allowing us to do these things at a small level too. And the more support you get from it, um, then it can just grow. So I think we have to start from top up, but then also work from the bottom and still get there somehow, because I know a lot of, there's a lot of pushback or a lot of fear of um, like with the, some programs about creating this like tension and making students feel uncomfortable because you're trying to do so much for the students of color and, and people who are minorities, but they're just like resistant to it. So I think they have to reach, reach a certain point where they're allowing it to happen and accept that people want to create a space and just, um, support <laughs> like just support and then that's all you have to do just support it <laughs> yeah when you say this the thing that comes to mind most of all is that i i want everyone to feel safe and what i mean what i mean by that is safe to 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 be themselves to feel that they're not going to be judged because maybe their dialect is a little different, their skin is a little different, color is a little different. I mean, we, we all approach things a little differently. And I think that difference sometimes or the ignorance of understanding that other culture kind of scares people off and it makes you prejudge and this or the other. I, I just want to get to a place that at least we as in this profession understand that, hey, you know what? It's okay for people to be different. It, it's okay for people to talk different. It's okay. I think our goals, I think I think what we're wanting at the end is the same, but very commonly folks aren't seeing that and, and or they don't stay where they are long enough to try to to really understand how we're really all on the same page. I think there needs to be um, greater access to physical therapy by the minority community, which means there needs to be some kind of a mechanism for that minority kid that's injured who doesn't have insurance to be able to be exposed to the mental health system or to be exposed to a physical therapist. Anyway, I, I really think that there's a whole bunch of folk out there that have no understanding of what physical therapy is because they don't have access to it. And if we can do something on, on in the physical therapy field that, you know, some of these clinics, some, I mean, it, I'm going to say everything needs to be free, but find a way to get these folks some exposure to what we actually do so that they can become expired by it. But it's just not happening a lot right now. And since, and, and, and truth be told, there are a lot of minority friends that I have that rarely ever go get a physical. That, that you know, the only time they ever even get into medicine health at all is, is if there's a major, some major catastrophic event. And so if, if it weren't for that, they, you know, they would say, forget all about medicine. You know, but we've got to somehow make it affordable, you know, so that, again, they can see that, hey, there's someone on the other side that looks like me, that cares for me, that does something that, hey, maybe I enjoy. 
in, in the future, but but that starts somewhere. And so I think us as a profession, we have to recognize that, that there are a lot of folk out there that, that need our services that, that can't do it, and they'll never be exposed to us, never understand the great field that we actually have. Yes. Thank you both so much for taking the time to chat with us today. You can find more APTA podcasts like this one on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, or by visiting apta.org slash podcasts. Thanks for listening. Thank you.